Jesus, thank you that um, you are a God who speaks. You're not silent. You long to communicate with us and you have given us your words. We thank you for the privilege that we have, that we can continually, whenever we need to hear you, go straight to your word. Father, we thank you for the way that you've been working in Chris's heart and mind over the past week. Father, we thank you for the way that you've revealed things to him, the way that you've shone your light into his heart as well. And Father, we ask that you would give us soft hearts as we listen to what you have to say, that we would draw close to you, hungry for your living water. And we pray for Chris that you'd anoint him this morning, that he would speak your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Louise. Cool. Morning, everyone. Oh, that was nice and loud. I like that. Excellent. So <clears throat> to begin this morning, what I'd like to do is share a quick story with you. It's about my younger brother, Robert, who I think, yeah, there he is on the screen. So Robert is 29 years old, but he has a severe learning dis- disability, which means that in his mind, he's closer to probably five years old. And in fact, his ability to speak is further behind than that. He can only make a few sounds and single-syllable words. But in spite of his difficulties, the thing that we, his family, are incredibly grateful for is the gigantic smile, the permanent smile that's plastered across his face. Those of you who have met him can testify to this. He's always so bright and cheerful, always has this gigantic smile. And this upbeat demeanor of his is truly infectious. Now, the best way I can illustrate this to you is uh, to tell you about Robert when he gets on public transport. Now, I want you to picture the last time that you got on a bus or a coach or train, something like that, and just think about uh, the rest of the passengers around you. Now, I bet you most of them were kind of silent, subdued, eyes downcast, probably staring at their phones, not really talking to each other. And let's be honest, most of us can kind of fall into that trap as well. But not so with Robert. When Robert gets on a bus, he'll like stomp on board like this, um, grin his characteristically huge grin, uh, make his way through the bus, and then uh, staring each and every passenger in turn in the eye, he'll like extend a hand to greet them. And as you can imagine, the whole, the whole mood of the bus just completely changes. Everyone immediately cheers up. Now, what Robert has that's so infectious, at least I believe, is a deep, enduring sense of joy. Not just a temporary happiness, but a permanent joy that saturates his entire personality. And that's what I want to look at this morning, what I want to draw out of today's passage. This idea of joy, what is joy and, and how, can we, uh, how can we achieve it? So we're going to be looking at Psalm 16. If you have a Bible handy, I think it's page 589. Uh, so, uh, 589. 549, thank you. Um, so while you're all kind of leafing through the Bibles, so the book of Psalms is a collection of poems or songs originally meant to be sung. They express a wide variety of human thoughts and feelings, from love and adoration to sorrow and fear. 
Now, Psalm 16 primarily expresses joy. Yep, that's right, you're catching on. So, uh, I, I reckon it's probably one of the most joyful passages of the whole Bible. So, we're going to have some fun. Uh, as we go through it, what I'm going to do is stop every few verses or so, highlight some key passages, uh, particularly where the subject of joy comes up, and we'll see how it all kind of links together. So, let's read. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Now, you might have a little note in your Bibles. Um, It says, basically, we don't know what a miktam is, but the key bit there is, it's a psalm of David, King David. So, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So here, David is showing that God is the only one he relies on for his well-being. As king of Israel, all David's friends, family, servants, advisors, and so on, they all support him. But all David has ultimately comes from God, his one true source of goodness. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out liberations of blood to such gods or take their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So here, David isn't shy in showing that his eyes are permanently fixed on God, which leads nicely into the next verse. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. So here's our first explicit reference to joy. David keeps his focus on God. Therefore, he's glad. He rejoices. My body will also rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. So as I said earlier, the Psalms are hymns or songs, and so in this final verse, we get the real crescendo or climax of this song. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So here's our second reference to joy, joy in God's presence. Now you may have noticed a shift in tenses here. So verse 9 says, my tongue rejoices, as in present tense, my tongue currently rejoices at this moment. Verse 11 though, you will, you will fill me with joy in your presence. You will in the future, God, fill me with joy. And I think the choice of words here is pretty deliberate. If we keep our eyes on the Lord, we'll have joy now. And if we keep our eyes on the Lord, we'll have joy in the future, after we pass away, into eternity. Now that all sounds pretty good. With God, we can have joy now and forever. But for me, two questions arise at this point. Firstly, what actually is this joy that we're talking about? What does that mean? And then secondly, how can we obtain it? What does it actually mean to keep our eyes on the Lord, as it says. So let's explore. Question one, what actually is joy? 
Well, for anyone who's a fan of Pixar films, the first thing that might come to mind when we think of the word joy is the character of that name from the film Inside Out. Anyone seen Inside Out? A few people, okay. Uh, so for those of you who uh, haven't seen Inside Out, I'll give you a bit of a refresher about this character. So joy is one of five personified emotions alongside uh, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger who live inside the head of a human character called Riley. Each of these emotions controls Riley with joy at the helm. Joy's mission in the film is to, keep joy, is to keep Riley as happy as possible at all times. Now, this is a really fun film to watch, but Pixar's idea of the role that joy plays in us is actually kind of flawed. Inside Out treats joy as simply something that brings us happiness. The problem is, happiness is just a temporary emotion determined by our circumstances. Most of the world thinks of joy this way, as just a route to happiness or a synonym, another word for happiness. But true joy actually transcends happiness. True joy is an attitude, not some emotion determined by the things going on around us. It's something that lasts a lot longer than happiness. So let's look again at the references to joy in the psalm. Verse 9, my tongue rejoices. Now, the original Hebrew word uh, that's used for rejoices means to be glad, be joyful, delight, the attitude and action of favorable circumstance often expressed in shouts and song. Now, at first glance, you might think, wait, it says the attitude, it says uh, favorable circumstance, so joy is determined by our circumstances. But no, take a closer look. The attitude and action of favorable circumstance, not from, but of. In other words, joy isn't determined by circumstance, but expresses itself as if in the event of favorable circumstance. So even if things aren't going your way, you can still be joyful as if they are. Joy is not some up and down emotion in constant conflict with anger, fear, sadness, and so on. It's an expression beyond emotion. And notice the other half of this definition, often expressed in shouts and song. So when we worship, we express joy. It's expressed through music. And in fact, many worship songs are based on psalms just like this one. So that's the first of our joy words in the Psalm 16, rejoices. There's actually another sort of more hidden joy word in the same verse, verse 9. David prefaces the description of his joyful tongue with the words, my heart is glad. The Hebrew word used here for glad means to rejoice, be glad, delight in, exceeding glad. This isn't glad like, oh, I'm kind of glad it didn't rain today. No, this is glad as in, Father God, I'm so glad that you've given me life in all its fullness. That kind of glad. And notice David doesn't say, my face is glad like he's only pretending to show gladness. No, his heart is glad. His innermost being, his very self, his person is glad. And then our final joy word, verse 11. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now this joy means gladness, delight, mirth, exceeding glad to exceedingly rejoice. Interestingly, 
this joy word is closely related in the Hebrew to that glad joy we looked at from verse 9. So think about the implication here. The same type of incredible, eternal joy we can have with Father God in heaven forever, from verse 11, we can experience now, verse 9, on this earth. So the joy of the Bible, the joy of the Lord, is not some temporary emotion. It's a state of being that transcends our happiness. It's rejoicing, delighting, shouting, singing for joy, exceeding joyfulness. And it's ours, now and forever, if we let it be. So that's the what of joy. That's the first of my two questions. But what about the next question? How? How do we get this joy? How do we experience it? Particularly, we might think, if we look at the pain and suffering of the world around us. We hear about it all the time in the news. Bombings, murder, disease, economic turmoil. Just last week, we prayed about the mass shooting at the Walmart store in El Paso that left 20 people dead and another 26 injured. On Thursday, five people were killed at a nuclear accident in Russia uh, with further uh, further nine people injured in additional explosions. And then only yesterday, a typhoon hit China, forcing a million people out of their homes and another at least 22 people dead. And then there's the suffering that we see in our own lives or the lives of friends and family. Illness, money problems, bereavement, divorce, depression, loneliness. How, through all of that, can we really be expected to experience joy? How can we expect to be joyful? Well, in case you missed it at the beginning, Psalm 16 has the answer. Verses 7 through 9, I will praise the Lord. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Being joyful comes from God. It comes from praising God, keeping focus on God, shouting to him, praying in his name and reading his word to get closer to him. All these things that we know are good for Christians to do, to worship, pray, read the Bible, they all bring us joy. So back to my brother, Robert. I used his story at the beginning as an illustration of this God-given joy. But because of Robert's disability, we can't really know, because he can't speak, we don't know exactly how much he understands about the Lord. But it's likely that at least intellectually, he can't know God in the same way that you or I can. But if that's true, take note. If Robert, with his limited, if any, understanding of God, can somehow tap into God's joy so that he is always smiling, always infectiously joyful, how much more can we, able-minded Christians, experience joy? Robert has a difficult life. I've watched him struggle to communicate, struggle to be understood. I've seen him hit himself, lash out, and isolate himself because no one gets him. But he still has joy. The reality is, none of us uh, is exempt from life's difficulties. In fact, with Christian persecution on the rise, it seems that the faithful can suffer more than others. 
But through all the ups and downs of life, we can have God-given joy that transcends our circumstances. But at this point, and this is important, I need to say that even though we can have joy, we still can and should express our emotions. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, There's a time for everything, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. So even though we can have God-rooted joy, sorry, God-given joy rooted in us, we still need to express ourselves to properly process what we're going through. When Jesus encountered the sick and the lame, he expressed sorrow. When his friend Lazarus appeared to die, Jesus wept. And when traders were using the temple courts for dishonest gain, Jesus got mad. Sometimes we can be afraid of being overly emotional. And sure, we shouldn't be ruled by our emotions like the human character Riley in Inside Out. But failing to express our emotions is stifling. It prevents us from moving past our current circumstances, good or bad, and growing in maturity. We're called to deal with situations as they come, express our emotions, but ultimately live in the God-given joy that transcends our circumstances. Like a stubborn flower that still somehow grows in arid desert, godly joy transcends circumstance. After Job loses all his possessions, his ten children all die, and he contracts a horrible skin disease, he still has joy. In the book of Hebrews, when the early Christians experienced public humiliation, imprisonment, and theft of their possessions, they still had joy. And when Jesus Christ was beaten to within an inch of his life and nailed upon a cross and left to die, guess what? He still had joy. Through all our trials and tribulations, we should have joy. Joy is the best of both worlds. We can have joy because of the good things that God is doing. And we can have joy in spite of the rubbish things that can happen to us. So now we know what joy is. It's a state of being that transcends emotions. We know how to get joy, connect with God through prayer, praise, worship, and Bible study. But once we have this joy, the next question is, what do we do with it? Well, that's easy. Express it so that others may experience the joy that you have. Excuse the noises there. I'll just keep going through it. Huh? Use the lectern. Okay. Cool. That's a lot easier. Yeah, express joy so that others may experience the joy that you have. Joy is a gift far better shared than kept to ourselves. Joy is a virtuous circle. We can express it in much the same way that we receive it. One of our joy definitions from earlier was about expressing joy through shouting and singing. This is something the Bible talks often about, shouting, singing, and dancing joyfully. It's going to be really hard for me to point myself at the mic, but I'm just going to keep doing it. There we go. So now, by way of comparison, let me give you a bit of an insight into my world. So how many of you have been to see like, musicians or bands live in concert or gone to a music festival, watched a music festival on TV, something like that? Okay, quite a few people, but I've got a few blank faces as well. That's absolutely fine. So uh, for, your, for your benefit, let me set the scene a bit. 
So uh, at a gig, or at least at the sort of gig I like to attend, fans, when the musicians come on the stage, fans will scream and shout, wave their arms in the air, jump around and sometimes bash into each other in celebration of the amazing music that's coming from the stage and the musicians responsible for it. But here's the thing. Those musicians, as talented as they may be, they're just fallible human beings. They're just people like you and me. So if music fans can celebrate so enthusiastically over their favorite artists, how much more can we express joy in the divine creator God through sung worship and dancing? Jesus' followers shouted for joy when he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. When Mary and the other women witnessed the resurrected Jesus, they ran with joy to tell others. When we tell others about Jesus, we should do it with joy so that others can see the joy of the Lord in action. Other passages talk about joy expressed through feasting, fasting, giving generously. For the benefit of the audio recording, I was pointing to the basic <laughs> bank bin. All kinds of things. Again, do these things with joy and others will notice. So, joy transcends emotions. Obtain joy by connecting to God and express it through music, singing, dancing, shouting, and witnessing to others. The final point we need to remember about joy is this. Joy is forward-focused. Joy anticipates the coming kingdom of God. Back to Psalm 16. Both Peter and Paul in the New Testament apply the joyful words of this psalm to Jesus' resurrection and therefore the hope of heaven that we now have. Romans 12 talks about rejoicing in hope. Isaiah 61 expresses joy in the prophecy of Jesus the Messiah and the eternal relationship we can have with him. So friends, seek joy in the Lord. Express joy in the Lord, even in the midst of suffering. Because one day, Jesus will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. He will invite us into everlasting joy in him. Let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you that we can experience joy in you by your spirit. Help us to tap into that joy every day, even through the toughest trials. Help us to express your joy and share it with our friends, family, and neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.